By the way, isn't it, isn't it a very um, up-to-date and relevant topic to talk about declining national leaders? But uh, the servants of Saul did what people do today. They diagnosed the problem accurately. Well, that's not always what they do today, but uh, it was a problem with Saul and his God, as, as we'll see in a minute here. But then they diagnosed the solution physically. So it was a spiritual problem, they said. In fact, let's read, if we can, here, verse uh, 18, I believe. Um, oh, no, that's not it. That's where we're going to start tonight. But um, uh, let's see. Oh, verse 14, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant saith unto him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. So they, they diagnosed the problem correctly, but then as we talked and saw last week, they, the solution they came up with was, was a physical solution. We're going to bring in somebody that can play a harp. And uh, they, they tried to correct the problem of the emotions rather than correcting the character. And this is such a common problem today, over-medicating kids and uh, adults as well. When we've got mental issues, uh, we've got spiritual issues, and we have sin issues, and we just throw pills at it, it's not going to solve the problem. It might solve some of the symptoms, but it won't solve the problem. And I, I hope you know, whenever I talk about these things, I'm not throwing a blanket saying that no kid needs it or there's no issues there. I'm just talking about uh, uh, generally speaking. There's never, there never is a physical solution to a spiritual problem. The, the, the spiritual problems require spiritual solutions. But the world is always looking for a harp when God is looking for the heart. And that's what Saul needed. He needed to get his heart right. And, uh, but the servant sent out for somebody that was good with a harp. And uh, the world always tries to treat moral and spiritual problems with secular remedies. We, have a, we see that all throughout our society today, and it is a major problem. The harp was a superficial remedy. It doesn't go deep enough. It dealt with Saul's emotions, but not his heart. It treated the symptoms of Saul's problems, but not the cause. And again, I, I harped on it last week, a harp. I talked about it last week a lot. Uh, uh, the, the the fact that, you know, it really bugs me today how many kids I see drugged up. I drive a school bus from time to time, and just to see these kids, they just they pump them full of meds rather than dealing with the problem. I mean, they get they have rebellion issues. They have uh, they're rambunctious. They a lot of times just being kids. They need to be disciplined. They need to have structure. They need all these things in their lives. But it's a lot easier to throw a pill at them, and then they just become zombies rather than deal with the problem. And we need to deal with it. Uh, we, we're not doing so. We're dealing with symptoms. We're not dealing with the problems, and we need to deal with the problems. As parents, we know that. Uh, we don't only deal with symptoms. We found out what the causes are, and we dig a little deeper, and we, we want to reach the heart. Now, this harp solution only diverted Saul's mind from the problem. It did not deliver him from the problem. We could go down that path too. We do all kinds of things to divert ourselves from our problems, but we don't deliver ourselves. We need to get deliverance, not just diversion. Uh, this was a temporary solution. The world's philosophies can only affect the head. They cannot affect the heart. Uh, we need to get to the spiritual to affect the heart. But... Uh, Big surprise, Saul jumped at it because carnal men always like carnal solutions. They don't like spiritual solutions. If they'd have said, who should they have called, by the way? Rather than, da not that I have anything against David, but rather than calling David to come play a harp, who should they have called? Samuel. 
Samuel's the prophet. Samuel has been warning Saul time after time after time. They should have called in a preacher to solve the problem. Preachers can solve a lot of your problems, amen, uh, if people just see it. But uh, Saul jumped on the carnal solution because that's what carnal people do. So they found David, and we'll start reading in verse 18. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning and playing, and a mighty valiant man, and a man of war, prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. Now, I think this is hilarious because it shows God working behind the scenes. There's something about David they didn't say because they didn't know. Uh, they could, we could add to the, and Samuel just anointed him to be your replacement. Uh, he didn't know that, nor did Saul's servants. But we know that because we saw it in the last chapter. But isn't that cool how God is bringing David into the training grounds of the palace and uh, Saul and his servants have no idea? Verse 19. Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, Send me David thy son which is with the sheep. And Jesse took an ass laden with bread and a bottle of wine and a kid and sent them by David his son unto Saul. And David came to Saul and stood before him and he loved him greatly and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse saying, Let David, uh, I pray thee, stand before me for he hath found favor in my sight. And it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul that David took an harp and played with his hand, and so Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. Father, I pray you'd help us in these few minutes that we have to see something that'll challenge our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. They found David, and his coming would help. Uh, th th <laughs> this, I think, is more of a help to David than it is to Saul, because now David's being thrust into the palace, and he's going to see the workings just like Joseph was, uh, under uh, Potiphar, seeing all the workings, of preparing him for the future. Hey, you never know what God's doing in your life to prepare you. And uh, this is a blessing to see this. Uh, so in recommending David here in verse 18, they give some excellent characteristics. I want to just break them down. We see first the skill of David. Uh, the Bible says he was cunning in playing. David was an excellent harp player. He obviously practiced during those many hours he was out there watching sheep, which could be a very boring job. Now, David could have done one of several things. He could have played Fortnite on his uh, devices, or he could play, learn how to play the harp. And obviously, he chose the harp. And I'm being facetious about that. But he didn't just idle his hours away. He did something where he developed a skill. And I think there, we can see character in that. The, the character of a person can be seen in how he uses his leisure time. A lot can be seen. Laziness is an epidemic today, isn't it? Laziness. I heard about a man whose family sent him to see a doctor because he was constantly complaining that he was too sick to work. And so the doctor examines him, and uh, the, the, after he comes in with his report, the man says, Doctor, I wanted, want you to give it to me straight. Don't use any medic, fancy medical terms. Just give me the truth in plain English. What's wrong with me? The doctor says, okay, I'll make it as plain as I can. There's nothing wrong with you. You're just lazy. So the man thought for a second, and I said, I see. Now he says, will you give me a complicated, fancy medical term so I can tell my family? <laughs> uh, laziness, laziness is an issue. And laziness is the secret ingredient that goes into failure. Most failures, uh, many failures, are because of laziness. And David wasn't lazy. He was industrious. So uh, your character can be seen how you use le your leisure time. How do you use your leisure time? It says a lot about you. So not only the skill, but the strength of David. It says he was a mighty, valiant man. The word valiant here 
is translated from a Hebrew word, means strong. And he was not only a man of music, he was a man of muscle. He was a strong young man, and it's, it's an unusual combination. Not to step in toes or be mean, but a lot of times guys who are very musical are, can be even effeminate. This wasn't David. He played the harp well, but he also had a manliness about him. This was important because he wouldn't be an embarrassment to the manliness of Saul's court. He, was, he presented himself well. Uh, he was a valiant man. His strength evidenced character, and it came from hard work, and also his his, uh, his, his body, which we'll see in a little bit too, he took care of himself and he developed his character. So physically, mentally, emotionally, David was a good, uh, a good man in preparation for a great job. Then we see the soldiership of David. This is kind of odd. I always wondered about this. A mighty valiant man, a man of war. Don't forget, he's a teenager that has done nothing but watch his father's sheep. Yet they call him a man of war. Uh, this was before Goliath. So that hasn't happened yet. That happens in the next chapter. How could David be called a man of war? Now, he hadn't fought in any armies yet. But uh, the answer to that really is in those days, the Philistines were a constant threat. It was not uncommon for them to plunder people's farms. Uh, they would steal livestock at harvest time. They would steal their grain. If you go to uh, chapter 23, verse 1, you see the people of Keilah. This was in central Judah. And the Bible says when the Philistines fight against Keilah and they rob the threshing floors. So David would have to protect those sheep. Later we find out he protected them from a bear and from a lion, but he would also have to uh, defend them from, his, uh, from, from marauders and, and plunderers. And so evidently David has built up some kind of reputation that he's able to take care of his flock and resist these people that come in to plunder. Therefore, he's called a man of war. So he's got a reputation for that. They go on. What's next? He's prudent in matters. This statement basically is talking about sensible speech. Uh, the Hebrew word matters, uh, that, that's translated to matters here, uh, means speech, word speaking. It's interesting that 700 times in the Old Testament, that word is translated to word or words. Only 60 times it's translated to matter or matters. And so uh, we're talking about words here. We're talking about his speech, and he was a discreet person. Uh, God's people ought to be people of godly tongues. Amen? We shouldn't be gossips. We shouldn't be cursing. We shouldn't be uh, loose with our mouths. Uh, foul mouths are not God-honoring mouths. The Bible talks in James about the tongue is an unruly evil. We ought to be known for our good speech, and that's what David was known for. And then, uh, so you have the, the, the skill, the strength, the soldiership, the speech, and then the shape of David. It calls him a comely person. This is basically his physical appearance. He's a good-looking person. The comely person refers to his figure. Basically, it means literally a beautiful form he had. So he had a good physical figure. We learn in chapter 16, verse 14, that he was good-looking in the face. When uh, Samuel came to Jesse's house, uh, David was ruddy in his appearance. He was a good-looking young man, but here it's also, we learn he has a good figure. He's taken care of himself. He's not a couch potato. He's not lazy. He's not grossly overweight. And you say, why is this important? You know, it, that doesn't necessarily mean you can't be godly if you don't look good physically, but still, it means, I think it all leads to talk about good character. He's, he's taking care of himself. He's doing right. He's learning skills. He's, he's not lazy. He would, uh, Saul wouldn't want to 
a slob in his court, and David's not a slob. He's a, he is a, a comely person, it said. Now, a physical condition obviously does not make up for a lack of spirituality. We know that. But it's still indicative of laziness, undisciplined living, when we don't take care of ourselves. And uh, I believe that there's no need for God's people to be slobs. Amen? So uh, this is something good to say about David. But the best thing is saved to last. We see that they said the Lord is with him. This is the spirituality of David. You had his skill, his strength, his soldiership, his speech, his shape, and then his spirituality. Uh, this spoke about his relationship with God. And this is the best thing. Amen? I mean, it's, it's good to be good looking. I mean, I've always appreciated that. Uh, but he spoke of his relationship with God here. And uh, I have to say it because nobody else does, okay? So I just got to slip it in there whenever I can. Uh, but... Uh, it's interesting it's mentioned last because this is the most important. Uh, and why would it be stated last? Probably because this is what Saul would be least interested in. And sadly so. But Saul has far, he, he's far removed from being worried about what God's opinion is because he's, he's been rebellious against God. So, but the fact it was mentioned is important. Uh, David knew God. He fellowshiped with God and it showed and people knew it. It was in his reputation. Uh, now, just with all those in mind, just use your imagination thinking cap for just a little bit. Let's imagine somebody's reporting on you. How do they describe you? It's good, convicting, isn't it? How do they describe you? How, how's somebody going to describe me? This is a great list of attributes. And this, by the way, is the world, not Christians, describing him. And this is the reputation David had. The Bible says a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And uh, look, we oughtn't be worried about our reputation above serving God, but I believe if we do that right, we will have the right kind of reputation. We need to have a good name. Uh, David's spirituality was not a secret. He did not hide his faith. He was not ashamed. He lived what he taught. Now, it's interesting, verse 21, after he gets to the palace, the Bible says that Saul loved him greatly. Being attracted to David in this way is, is one of the few commendable things about Saul at this time. Uh, he seems mostly to be attracted to men of evil character. I think of Doeg the Edomite in chapter 21, verse 7, chapter 22, verse 18. But here is an exception. He is drawn to David. His problem is that uh, the, 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 he didn't love David for the right reasons. David was not rebellious. He didn't despise God's word. Uh, his attractiveness had to do with his relationship with God. Uh, but Saul, let me give you this truth that I found in raising kids, and, and you, you have found it too. I'm sure if you've had kids. People love the product, but not the process. You ever notice that? Oh, if you've got good, obedient kids, they love the product. But they won't discipline their kids. They won't uh, put structure on their kids. They won't uh, invest time into their kids. But they do love the product. And Saul loved the product of what David was, but he didn't like the process. Could Saul have been what David is? Absolutely. He had all the resources in the world to be what David was. But he didn't like the process, but he did like the product. Uh, people want the fruits of righteousness, but they don't want the life it takes to get righteousness. And so uh, they want to basically have it for free. This is not helped by the fact that we are in an app generation, okay? We just, we want something, we download an app. Unfortunately, you can't download patience into your life, and you can't download character into your life. I would love it if you could, but you can't. Uh, unfortunately, Saul's affection for David did not last. And when did it change? 
This is interesting too. Whole nother lesson, we're not going to go there. But Saul's affection for David waned when David's star started to outshine his. Remember the women saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul starts to get jealous and green with envy because he's carnal. And uh, he liked David until David started to outshine him a little bit. So, but I want you to notice something else here. That, that's down the road a little bit. David's promotion. He did more than play the harp for Saul. Listen what it says here. He stood before him in, in verse 21, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. Now, there's, some, there's a lot that's happening in this verse. This isn't immediate. He played for him, and, David, and, and Saul so appreciated his character, his speech, everything about him, he made him his armor bearer. So that was his first promotion. And then he was given another promotion in verse 22, let him stand before me. Uh, the armor bearer would carry the, the weapons, he would go before him, uh, the shield. By the way, I didn't even think of this until I read this. You remember in the next chapter when David is about to go to fight Goliath and Saul said, well, here, put on my armor. Uh, David would be intimately uh, familiar with the armor. He's been carrying it for all this time. I never thought of that when I read the Goliath story. But, uh, he, you know, this wasn't new to him. Yeah, I've been toting that stuff around, and no thanks. I don't want to have anything to do with it uh, in chapter 17. But to stand before me is a description of one who's ready, like a ready servant, just an assistant. Uh, he would be in the king's presence, ready to do his, his bidding at any time. Whatever he needed, he would be there to do it. Uh, this would be a great honor, by the way, uh, and more training. Saul's dealing with matters of the state. People are coming before him. They're dealing with issues. Where's David? He's standing here ready to help Saul, and he's hearing everything. He's learning the in and outs of the palace. He's learning how to govern from Saul, and Saul has no idea. Do you think Saul knew he was training his replacement? <laughs> Not for a second. Isn't that cool how God works, though? I love to see how God works in the affairs of men. We don't understand what's going on at the time. Uh, of course, David had been anointed to be the next king, so perhaps in his mind he knew it'd be a good time to pay some attention here because according to what Samuel said, I'll be in this place soon, but, but uh, Saul had no idea. These promotions that happened to David here, though, remind us of the principle about being faithful in the small things before bigger things. If David would have been like a lot of TikTokers of our generation, he'd have been, wait up, bub, I'm not going to be your servant. I'm the next king. I've already been anointed. Samuel's already said, I'm taking your place. And, uh, but he didn't. He was a servant. He was willing to be a nobody. He was willing to be in the bottom and uh, let God promote him. He's been faithful to keeping sheep. Now he's promoted to Saul's court. Now he's going to be faithful in Saul's court, and he's going to be promoted again. Uh, but he lets God's timing be the, the, what determines that. Very, very uh, commendable. If you want an advancement in your life, be faithful where you are. Just bloom where you're planted. Wherever God's got you now, just be faithful there and let him promote you. If you can't be faithful in humble tasks, you, then you won't be faithful in important ones either. So just be faithful where you are. Look at his performance in verse 23, the last part of the chapter there. When the evil spirit of God was upon Saul, and David took an harp, played with his hand, and Saul was refreshed. Uh, the Bible indicates here again that David was very skilled with the harp in his Heart music refreshed Saul. Uh, it did not solve his problem permanently. We've already discussed that. The evil spirit would come back. But it did bring temporary alleviation to Saul's problem. That's all the world can ever offer. But uh, that it did work for that. But it's uh, we see in here a couple of things. First of all, his readiness 
for service, when the evil spirit was upon Saul. So David had to be ready to play his harp at any time when Saul had his episodes, his spells, uh, however you want to call it. Uh, the servants would rush into David, Saul's freaking out, or he's having a spell, or he's having a seizure, whatever he's doing there. Uh, he had to be ready, and it's a good it's a good practice for us as Christians. We ought to be ready at a moment's notice. When our master calls, uh, we ought to be ready to serve. If he, if he asks us to, or prompts us to witness to somebody, we ought to be ready. Uh, we ought to be, uh, as the Bible says, always ready to give an answer, and uh, that's a good lesson for us as well. Second, we see the roughness of service. David didn't play for Saul when Saul was in a pleasant mood. David got called when Saul was a maniac, uh, probably cursing, probably throwing things. We know twice he threw javelin at David himself. Well, he's not, it's not a pleasant job. And it amazes me how many supposed people of God are only willing to serve where no problems are. That's a ridiculous idea because we are sent into the world by God to solve problems, to, to basically combat problems. We're not, we're not sent to work in problem-free areas. Jesus came into the world to remedy the biggest problem that mankind had. Wasn't a pleasant job. Uh, he was not sent into a world with no problems or to a life of ease. And we aren't either. And there, there's a lot of pastors I know that look that are on the hunt for churches with no problems. I mean, you, you wouldn't believe it. it, and maybe you would, I don't know. But it, it just, I see it all the time in, in the circles I connect with that, you know, they go to, we've seen it twice in the past year and a half. Maybe I shouldn't mention places, but Dismat Chamberlain, in the last year and a half, came, saw problems, left. Oh, people don't, you know, uh, uh, because there was some issues there. There is no place without problems, amen? There's no service for God without problems. We're going to run into difficulties. Side note, um, I've, I've been told numerous times how lucky I am to have this church. And by the way, I agree. I'm not arguing that at all. I, I feel very fortunate to serve here. But it, it grinds me just a little bit sometimes when I hear that because I know what spirit it's given in. And those of you who've been here for a while know that we've come through some serious problems. We've had some dark days here, unfortunately. We've had um, hard times. And not trying to gain sympathy, but I've had some hard times that most people are even unaware of, okay? It just... Uh, it, it, it isn't like we fell into a pot of unicorns and, and cotton candy and everything's been wonderful. Uh, there have been some soul-crushing episodes we've come through as a church family. And praise God for what we have now. But no church is without problems. Uh, no pr service with, to God is without problems. And uh, I just, I, I mean, I want to encourage people, stay with it. Stay with it. Stay faithful. The good times often come after the bad times. And so many times we serve until it gets tough or until it gets bad, then we run. And we're robbing ourselves of the blessings of staying faithful and working through it. And how about instead of running when problems come, we deal with it and stay in the saddle and don't, don't quit when the first difficulty comes your way. Helen Keller said, A happy life consists not in the absence but in the mastery of hardships. 
Build a stinking bridge and get over it. And then stay in the saddle and move on for the Lord. Don't just quit and run. And I see it with my preacher colleagues far too often. One little problem pops up. They resign and run off to the next place. And guess what? Wherever you end up, that's going to have problems too. It's not ever going to stop. Just be faithful. Stay in, stay in where God's got you. And I, it bothers me a lot, as you can probably tell. Great spiritual success is reaped from seeds that are sown in adversity. Uh, it's not, spiritual success doesn't come from ease. Good things, great things for certain, don't come from comfort zones. You're not gonna, you're not gonna do or accomplish great things sitting in your easy chair. It takes getting to work. It takes getting our hands dirty. And sometimes we have to plow through some difficulty to get good things done. I don't know how I got off on all this, but anyway, uh, those are some lessons we learn in this episode here of Saul's life. Mental decline, it came from spiritual decline. Uh, and, and he had physical, emotional, mental, but it all started spiritual. And if we allow ourselves to decline in our life spiritually, it's going to affect those other areas in our life. It can't help, but it will. It will affect those areas. So uh, praise the Lord for David, but it is sad to see the uh, path that Saul's taking. So let's learn from it if we can. Father, we thank you.